Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled, Do Torah Study and Prayer Remove Evil? And I'd like to begin by sharing with everyone a song. And the song is called, The Bainani. And that's exactly what we're learning about. A very, very um, moving song. We'll listen to it. And the song itself also has an introduction. If you can't hear, please let me know. TorahCafe.com Weakness is integral to the human experience. Yet, there is a person, a master, who persistently conquers his negative urges and worldly indulgences. Hasidic philosophy calls this person the Bainani. This level is within everyone's reach. The Benini wasn't born perfect, but throughout his life, perfected himself and achieved great spiritual heights. The following Hasidic melody was composed by Reb Aharon Kharatonov, a musician and ritual slaughterer from Nikolaev, Ukraine. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, father-in-law and predecessor of the Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, cherished the Nagun and called it the Benini. He once remarked, if you can't become a Benini, at least you can sing like one. We now turn to the Tamimim Boys Choir presenting the Benini. We're going to listen to the Nigan.
So this song is called the Bainani, and the song is the pen of the heart. So but no matter how much we learn, uh, we could accomplish much more with song, with nigun. That is why every gathering should always include song. Not any song, within song itself, there's many categories of songs. Um, within, within the Hasidic world itself, there's many categories of songs. But this song was titled the Bainani, um, in the sense that it has the energy of the Bainani within him, that person constantly trying, constantly trying mm. to succeed and do better. Um, and it's something which, over the course, um, I hope everyone here is able to learn. A very, very special song. Uh, yes, David. You'll notice in the background an instrument. Uh, it's called a cymbal. It has nothing to do with cymbals. It's a stringed instrument and it's hit with hammers. And some of you may know that. It's very popular at klezmer gatherings in Eastern Europe, or was. It's not played so much anymore, but it was popular in Hasidic circles. For those of you who are familiar with certain movements in this country, uh, deriving from Buddhism, the nigun is the Hasidic Jewish equivalent of Om. It puts you in a particular frame of mind. So frequently before a Farbrengan and or a, uh, a Mimer, uh, it set the Hasidim in a particular frame of mind. And the timbal in Central and Eastern Europe is uh, an instrument very much associated with that. Thank you, David. So, music is the, um, we'll call it the wine before and after learning. It's what prepares you and is able to actually allow you to process what you properly learned. So, previously in chapter 13, we're currently holding on page 54, we're, we're discussing the Bainani. We've, we've uh, discussed how both the good and bad are judges within the Bainani, but the third judge, Hashem, comes to the aid of the godly soul. And we continue to say how we have to constantly see ourselves not wicked, but as wicked. Very big, very big point we pointed out last week. The Talmud doesn't share the track they need that you need to think of, you need to think you are wicked. You need to think you are like wicked. You have to think that the evil within you on the left, in the left ventricle of the heart is still fully active. How could it be? If a person is doing a lot of good, so why is the evil still active? A person the entire day is doing Torah and mitzvot. So why should you think? Remember, in chapter 1 we started off, Tanya, that we learned in the third chapter, at the end of the third chapter of Tracte Nida. That when a ch young child is born, right before he comes out of the womb, we make, we make him swear that he'll be a tzaddik. And, even, and the oath continues and says, even if the entire world tells you, you are a tzaddik, imagine within yourself that, you're li that you are wicked, or, or you're like wicked. So we ask, what do you mean you should think of yourself as wicked? First of all, what good could come out? There'll be melancholy, there'll be depression. What good could come out? So last week we answered, what do you mean what good could come out? It doesn't say you should be wicked. It should say you should imagine like you're wicked. You should imagine within yourself that evil is still in the left ventricle. With me? What does it mean that the evil is still fully active. Well, if someone constantly works out, they're going to automatically grow. They'll grow their muscles, they'll, they'll grow their energy. The same thing is, if we constantly are eating and drinking, eating and drinking is connected to the animalistic soul. It, we didn't say it's bad. 
But we're saying technically, eating and drinking is connected to the body. The body is, is the life of the body is within the blood. We said is the animalistic soul. So naturally, the entire day we're working out the animalistic soul. The entire day we are energizing the animalistic soul. So unless you're actively fighting the the the, the negativity within you, you're growing the animal soul. And that is why the Bainani should constantly beware that the animal soul within him could be very active and very strong, and within the animal soul, the evil could be very strong. No matter how holy you are, unless you're a tzaddik, imagine as if the evil is fully active within you. Any questions? I don't know where it is, but the Perkyovo says... Um Constantly be suspicious of doing evil and trust yourself. Not, do not trust yourself until the day of death. A similar, similar quote, yes. Do not, do not trust yourself until the day of death. Yes, we, we never know what the will be. The reason I bring that up is because what the Ultra Rebbe said is very much in the mainstream. Yes. And that, that quote is connected to the story of a... Did I share this last week about the Kohen Gadol? Did I share last week about the Kohen Gadol? Oh. To be a Kohen Gadol, you have to truly be perfect. So much so that in the times of the Second Temple, the, the high priesthood was sold. You could buy it. Why could you buy it? Because the Romans stole it. And they were selling it to the highest bidder. When you go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, if you're not supposed to go in, you're not fit to go in, going to the holiest place in the world, the person would die. Once a year, the Kohen Gadol is allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. If you're not the right person, you bought it, you're not really the Kohen Gadol, you don't... So then, if, if you go into an, such a holy place, you, you can't handle it, and that person would die. It happened so many times, in the times of the Second Temple, that the high priest would die because he wasn't fitting, that they started attaching a string to his foot to pull him out in case he would die. <laughs> It happens so often that You go in there, I'm not going in there. <laughs> it happens so often that the eve of Yom Kippur, they would make the Kohen swear that he's the real thing and he's not a liar, he's not a faker. And yet, there was a Kohen Gadol for 80, until the 80th year of his life, Yochanan Kohen Gadol, and, the 80, and in the 81st year, he became a heretic. What does that mean? That means for 80 years, he was perfect. He, he went to the Holy of Holies and he came out, he was alive. He was the real thing. And unfortunately, in the 81st year, he became a heretic. This is an example, a prime example. And this is the quote which David was saying before, don't trust yourself till the day you die. You can be perfect for 80 years and unfortunately, if you still don't guard yourself, you know, negative things could happen. And that's the Bainani. The Bainani is constantly on guard, but he's able to constantly succeed. We just have to be aware. Thank you, David. Until now, we've been discussing the Bainani who is out there in the world. We're talking about Jonathan, a Bainani, a man who's out there in the world. He's seeing what's going on in the world. He may not always be seeing things he wants to see, but that's what he has to do. That's what Hashem wants him to do. Hashem says, 
For six days a week, the Torah says you need to work. It doesn't say if you want to work. The Torah says you need to work six days, and on the seventh day you should rest. So you're doing your job if you're working for six days a week. You still may not be in the prime space. You may not be in the best position. Such a person could easily have negative thoughts come up to his mind. He's seeing things, he's, he's, in, he's in situations that not, that not always does he want to be in. Okay, such a person, a Bainani, we understand that the evil could be fully active. He himself recognizes at times things are happening within him. But he's able to control it, that's the Bainani. But what about a person that is in yeshiva whole day, a person that is sitting in shulah whole day in the base medrash? And he doesn't see anything, it's, it's a technicality. It, he, he's fully in the base medrash, there's nothing disturbing him. So, is that person a tzaddik? Or is that person someone who just hasn't gotten in contact with evil? He hasn't gotten in contact with negative thoughts, but it's fully active within him. You got the question, Dr. Yosef? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the answer? What do you think? Um, I think it's still within him. I mean, it's a simple test. What would happen if he walks out? What, what's going to happen to him? You know? Unfortunately, today, and it's very, it's very, very serious. It used to be yeshiva. It used to be the shul was a safe haven. What does a safe haven mean? You came to yeshiva, you left, your, you left your home. Whatever happened to your home, nobody knew. But you came to yeshiva, you were locked in the four walls of yeshiva, in a good way. And that was today, and it's, it's, it's a real issue. With Today with uh, smartphones, you have 16-year-old boys, and you want them to focus. And unfortunately, we're losing some of that purity. It's, it's, a, big, it's, a, big, it's a big discussion that's, that's constantly coming, going on. It's like, how do we bring back that purity into the yeshiva system? It's not so simple. I mean, we're... <laughs> but it's, one, I, it's one thing. But I, no, but no, you're 100% right, but not always does everyone listen. You know? But I share this because the, the hope is, and that's when we come to Shul, yes, we should be able to kind of lock away our, our phone, lock away everything else out, focus. So going back to that person, he's in Shul, and within him, perhaps, he imagines he's a tzaddik, nothing else, nothing has come up to awaken within him, and he bad. But we're going to learn, even he has to be fully aware that the, the bad is fully active. He just hasn't ha- activated it. There's nothing there. And it's very important. Why is it important? Because if he doesn't have this precaution, the second he goes out to see something inappropriate, the second, he, he, God forbid, he could slip. Even he has to be on guard. Let's see that inside. Any questions before we see it inside? I would actually think that he'd be more susceptible. Because, for instance, those of us that don't go to Yeshiva all the time, we're constantly saying we're experienced. We, we, we would exactly we're exposed constantly. We, fair, fair, fair observation. He could be even more susceptible. Absolutely, and then agreed. agreed. Let's see this inside. We're now on page fifty-six, where it says nineteen tevet in small words. Left column, first paragraph. Even one whose whole aspiration is in God's Torah, which he studies day and night. For its own sake, the Torah tells us. Last week I got a phone call from someone. They said, where does it say you have to do mitzvot? Where does it say? Where does he have to learn Torah? The Torah says in Deuteronomy, you need to learn Torah day and night. So this person, he's learning Torah day and night for its own sake, lishma. By raise of hand, how many people have heard the word lishma? 
Lishmaiz. For its own sake, you're learning Torah. What's the sake of learning Torah? For fantastic. To connect with Hashem. So someone is in yeshiva, he's in whatever scenario he is, and he's learning Torah day and night, and he's on the highest level, he's learning Torah, to connect with Hashem. This is still no proof whatsoever that the evil has been dislodged from its place. No proof. You're saying you're studying Torah for its own sake, but not in order to do mitzvot. So, good point. I'm saying you're studying Torah and doing mitzvot. Both for its own sake. All to connect with Hashem. So when you do it, but it may still be that its essence and substance, the evil's essence and substance, are in their full strength and might. Could be fully active. Where? In its abode in the left part, the left ventricle. Could be fully active, except that its garments, the thought, speech, and act of the animal soul are not invested in the brain, mouth, and hands, and the other parts of the body. It could be that you're in yeshiva, you're in shul, you're in the base medrash, so the evil is subdued. And let's look at the words of Shneir Zalman says in the Tanya, the thought, speech, and act of the animal soul are not invested in the brain, mouth, and hands. What are the three garments of the soul? So the brain is thought, the mouth is speech, and hands is action. We're saying that the, the garments of the animal soul have not, in, have not enclosed themselves in the body. Why? Why is it that this person that is in shul does not have the animal soul overpowering him because God has given the mind supremacy and dominion over the heart? Well, okay, therefore... Because the brain is able to control the heart, the divine soul and the intellect rules over the entire small city. The godly soul rules over the entire body, all the parts of the body, making them a garment and vehicle for her three garments, wherein to be clothed to wit the thought, speech, and act of the 613 commandments of the Torah. So the Bainani, yeah, he, right now, the godly, the godly garments are, are what's working with him. But that does not at all mean that the, God, the animalistic soul is not there. Not at all. And like Jonathan pointed out wisely, could be, that uh, they're there even stronger. Who knows? He hasn't experienced it. I have a technical question for everyone. Last week we learned that why does the Bainani win over the fight? What was the reason we gave last week? Hashem was the third judge. Hashem supports him. All of a sudden this week we're saying why does the Bainani win over the fight? Because the brain overpowers the heart. Which one is it? Does the Bainani win because the brain overpowers the heart? Or does the Bainani win because Hashem is supporting him? Oh, yes. Yes, I, I like that answer. I like that answer. But then say that. Why last week did we learn that the Bainani only wins because Hashem supports him? And this week we learned the Bainani wins because it's a natural thing. Hashem created us that our mind overpowers. But Hashem re rests in the mind, not in the heart. 
that's what makes us different from animals. Animals all have hearts, but they don't all have minds. Hashem rests in the heart. God, I hear you. No. Hashem rests, rests in the, rests in the mind. I, I hear you, yes. I, I feel like we're talking about two different things, though. Oh, that's what I was hoping to hear. So what's, the, um, what's the answer? One of them, one of them we're talking about, um, almost, you know, we're talking about a judgment, uh, as far as, you know, we specifically said that three judges in the verdict. We're talking about, you know, you have your animal, your evil, the evilness in your animal soul. It's like your evil inclination and good inclination fighting for... Um, Specifically, uh, your virtue, the verdict on your virtue, and Hashem yes, coming to the side. Well, the, the other one, this is your active will in trying to trying to achieve. So you're you're differentiating within the person. The truth is, we start off the class saying that we're talking about a different type of person. Last week we discussed the person who is in the field. So the person who is in the field, the person who is out there, and he's experiencing you know, negative thoughts. And again, he's controlling them. So there's nothing wrong. He's, that's, he's a healthy person. But he's experiencing them. So he needs help from Hashem. Why? Because he's already, he's already a step further. But right now we're discussing someone who's sitting in shul the entire day and he's not experiencing the negative thoughts. So for this Bainani... The, the mere fact that the brain naturally controls the heart is enough. Again, today, right now, we're, we're saying that even the Bainani, who is focused in Shul, he still needs Hashem, he still needs to control himself. But how does he do that? By the mere fact that the brain controls the heart. Someone who's already out there, he's already having, neg he's already having negative thoughts, there are already other things coming to his mind. That, at that moment, we need, Hashem, we need Hashem's help. We need the third judge. Clear? So John, a question? No. Oh. no. <laughs> okay. <You're> digesting. <laughs> However, let's continue page 56, right column. Even though the godly soul is winning within this pain and knee. However, in its essence and substance, the divine soul in the Bainani has no preponderance over the animal soul. In reality, the godly soul, the godly soul does not control the animalistic soul at any time aside for prayer. We're going to learn now that when we learn would you repeat that? The godly soul does not control the animalistic soul at any time aside for prayer. Wow. You mean it's, it's fighting it as opposed to, or it's resisting? During any other time, the animalistic soul is just kind of um, pushed aside. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's subdued. But during prayer, actually, we're actually um, we're actually quieting him down. We're actually accomplishing something. Is that no? because Hashem is intervening at that point? Actually, it's a very technical thing. When we learn, we need to be focused on learning. And we're gonna we're, what I'm going to share with you now. We're going to see momentarily. But when you learn, you need to be fully focused on learning. So much so that every hour there's a halacha. Every hour you learn, 
You need to stop learning and think, hey, why am I learning? Remind yourself that you're not learning to become brilliant, you're not learning to become a Torah scholar, you're not learning to become this teacher, you're learning to connect with Hashem. Every hour we need to stop and focus. Why? Because while we're learning, we shouldn't have anything else on our minds. If we have anything else on our mind, we can't fully be involved in what we're learning. When we're davening, what happens when we daven? We're creating emotions. We're creating feelings. We're creating this love for Hashem. And if you remember, we discussed in previous chapters that when you love Hashem, automatically you hate evil. And that's... So prayer is about emotions. You're loving Hashem. You're creating this, flame, this flaming fire, as we're going to say momentarily. So at that time, you're actually pushing away the evil. But, when we're learning, we're not doing anything to the evil, we're just doing something else. When you learn, you're not fighting evil, you're not subduing it, you're just involved in something else. And that's what we're saying right now, this person that is in yeshiva the entire day, it's not that as he's learning, he's, he's fighting the evil, not at all. When he's learning, he's distracted himself. So let's see, we're going to see this inside now, again, that when we pray, we are actually pushing away the evil. There's actually, when we love Hashem, that means we're removing evil. But when we're learning, we're not doing that, because actually we need to be, in, we must be focused in the learning, we must, and at that time, it's just we're ignoring the evil, we're not subduing it. Yes, I don't want to break the train, but I've got a technical question. Yes. Why aren't there any vowels in this? In general, most sfarim have don't have vowels, just like the Torah. So, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but by the way the words are written, um, generally you're able to pronounce it appropriately without vowels. But it, really, it, it, is, it is a task, right. Israeli right. newspapers don't have vowels either. <laughs> Very frustrating. Please. This is um, based on something you said earlier, um, how uh, you know, you're doing things all through the day, you're eating, you're drinking, and that, uh, you know, that uh, yeah. strengthens. Is, is that the reason behind fast, fasting during certain holidays? Is it to minimize strengthening your animalistic? There's only one time we fast for holy reason. And that is Yom Kippur. The other days, unfortunately, we fast for tragic reasons. And on Yom Kippur, yes, we fast on Yom Kippur because we want to be a step closer to Hashem. We want to completely remove ourselves from the physical. And that's why all the five things that are prohibited, um, of, wash, of, of rinsing yourself and eating, drinking, um, marital relations, wearing shoes, they're all methods of kind of removing the physical and becoming closer to God. Yes, very well said. There's one other time when that takes precedence in the form that you describe, and that's when there are increasing de degrees of severity of fasts because there isn't any rain. Yes. The, yes. For holy reasons. Yes. There's morning. Morning also. Morning, yes. Okay, so back inside page 56, right-hand column. However, even this Torah scholar, the, while he's learning, it still could be that in its essence and substance, the divine soul in the Bainani has no preponderance over the animal soul, except at the time when his love for God manifests itself in his heart on propitious... Did I say that correctly? 
Propitiate? Where is it? Propitious. What was it watching? <laughs> Fifth line. Propitious. Propitious? Propitious. Propitious. For God manifests itself in his heart on propitious occasions, such as during prayer and the like. Meaning, that when you're praying, so then God, the love for God is manifested in your heart. And when the love of God for God is manifested in your heart, then automatically you're removing the evil within you. And even then, even when we pray, it is limited to preponderance and dominion alone. As it is written, and one nation shall prevail over the other. A famous quote that we've mentioned before, Kishezekam Zenoithel. That is, when one rises, the other falls, and vice versa. This is a quote by, regarding Yaakov, Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov and Esav, we learn that when one nation rises, the other falls. Yaakov and Esav are an analogy for Yaakov, godly soul, Esav, the animalistic soul. That when one is ruling, the other one is subdued. But that itself tells you that they're both fully active. When you, the verse itself is telling you that Yaakov and Esav are always going to be there, and going to, there's going to be a constant fight. Twins. So, twins. And that's the Bainani. The Bainani, they're both there. But there's that constant fight. Who's going to win? So although when one prays, he's pushing away the evil, even then within the Bainani, it still exists. Again, we want to bring out that within the Bainani, he's not a tzaddik. We need to recognize that there's a constant fight. Thus, when the divine soul gains strength over the animal soul, when the godly soul is going to gain strength over the animalistic soul, how does that happen? If, if you remember, you could have two ways of looking at the tense of Firot, and we discussed this earlier in the Tanya. You could have the tense of Firot in one line, or you could have the tense of Firot in three lines. Is everyone familiar with the two ways? You could have the tense if you wrote in one line or in three lines. If you have the tense if you wrote in three lines, so then givura, which is strictness, is going to be right below bina, right below understanding. And where does fire come from? Fire comes from strictness, from givura. And what is a good fire? A good fire is a fire for Hashem. That means your heart is, is on fire. Right? That's a famous expression. Your heart is, and that's a real thing. Your heart is on fire. So when you come and you dive in and you want to completely push away the evil, how does that happen? When your heart is on fire, how does your heart become on fire? Because the Gevura is connected to the Bina. That means we're taking our strictness and connecting it with our understanding. We're understanding during davening. And that is now going to create a strictness, it's going to create this fire. At that moment, the evil is, being const is actively pushed aside. And that's what we're going to say now. Thus, when the divine soul gains strength over the animal soul, 
where in the, in the source of Givura, and what is the source of Givura, which is Bina? How does that happen? How does Bina gain control? Through pondering on the greatness of God, the Ein Sof, blessed is He. So when someone is in Shul, and he's singing a niggin to himself, he takes his talis, or he, he, they close their eyes. And they get lost thinking about the greatness of God, how He is Haya, Hashem was, He is and He will be, Hashem is the master of all, Hashem creates all. When a person goes out and they, and they think about this, thereby generating intense and flaming love of God, they create this fire, this passion to Hashem, and where is the passion to Hashem within our heart, on the right side or the left side? Well, it's in the right part of His heart, which is a godly soul. Then, the sitra, achara, the evil in the left part is subdued. So now, yes, when a person is davening and they've let their emotions completely get caught up in the prayer and their heart is on fire, you see, you could see the way they're praying and they're involved in every word and they're focused. So at that time, their heart is on fire. At that moment, the evil is subdued. But it is not entirely abolished in the case of the Bainani. The Bainani is not able to completely remove the evil. That is the Bainani. The Bainani is, is having a constant struggle. It is so only in a tzaddik concerning whom it is said, My heart is void within me. David HaMelech said, King David said, My heart is void within me. The latter despises the tzaddik hate evil with a, with a full hatred and contempt or without quite such complete hatred as is explained above we, we learned earlier regarding the tzaddik there's different types of tzaddik but whichever level of tzaddik we're discussing they have a true hatred to evil but in a bainani it is by way of example similar to a sleeping man and let's stop here a bainani the most a bainani could accomplish is to kind of put the evil to sleep. But nothing more. What happens when you put the evil to sleep? It's taking a rest. But it's still there. When a bainani is davening appropriately, he's put the evil to sleep. But it's still there. When a bainani is learning, we're saying we're going to continue though. It could be, it's not even asleep, it could be fully active. Let's actually finish the paragraph. Bottom of page 56. But in a Bainani it is by way of example similar to a sleeping man who can awaken from his sleep. So is the evil in the Bainani dormant as it were in the left part during the recital of the Shema and the prayer Amida when his heart is aglow with the love of God but later it can wake up again. So now we have it. That the Bainani, he could put the evil to sleep, but even then only during prayer. But, to get back to learning, when a, when a person is learning, it could be fully active. He just doesn't interact with it. So in summary, we started off the class asking, 
that when dur during prayer and during learning Torah is evil subdued the answer is going to be during learning Torah no you're just doing something else during prayer hopefully, hopefully yes hopefully we're able to fully involve ourselves in the prayer and this will lead us next week to answer a very big question we began in chapter 1. In chapter 1 we asked, Rabbah was the leading Torah scholar of his generation. Rabbah is a person who the angel of death had a problem taking at the end of his life. And yet Rabbah said he's a Benini. And so in chapter 1 we said, <laughs> how is Rabbah calling himself a Benini? Abaye turned to Rabbah and said, Rabbah, if you're a Benini, then all of us are Rishayim. If you say that you're barely a Benini. So next week we'll now be able to understand that based on all of a sudden the Benini, it's a whole new perspective. The Benini we're concluding now could be someone who has never sinned. He could be someone in Yeshiva. He could be someone who doesn't even know whether the evil is within him or not, right? He's he's never had an experience where the evil was aroused. And yet even him we're saying he has to be vig vigilant, make sure maybe it's still is fully there. And this is a person that each and every one of us can be. That is the beginning of Tanya. We start off So, again from Deuteronomy, that it's close to you. The Torah is close to you. You could do it in your, in your mouth, in your heart, you could fulfill it. This is what we can all be, and this is what we will all be. Are there any questions? Yes. A question about intellect versus emotion. Please. So, uh, at the beginning, uh, on, the, on the left side of the page, it seemed like intellect is superior um, in some way, but uh, on the right side of the page, it, it appears that, that the heart is superior, which is, you know, usually thought of as emotions. Um, Could I ask you to quote? Why, why do you say on the right hand we say that the mind is greater and on the left we say the heart is greater? Well, uh, on the left it says um, um, the, the divine soul of the intellect rules over the entire small, small city. Yes. So, so he's, he's putting the intellect on a pretty high plane. So on the right hand, we're saying that the brain naturally controls the heart. That's the way we were naturally created. That no matter what our heart's impulse is, we're able to control it. That's the right hand side. Mm -hmm. but, but, but then over here he says in prayer, yeah. you have the, the heart is dominant. And that seems to be... That seems to be um, a higher level than the intellect. So how do you get that love during prayer? How could someone create this flaming fire that's only if it was generated through pondering on the greatness of God, thereby generating intense and flaming love of God? That means the feelings are only going to come from your mind again. Your mind has to create it. You, you have to ponder and think about God. Someone comes to Shul and they sit down and they start praying. Most probably, there's no flaming fire that they've just accomplished. 
takes concentration, it takes preparation. So, we're saying that yes, the mind controls the heart. But on the right hand side we're saying that we want the mind during prayer only. Because during learning Torah we're focused on an intellectual concept. We need to remind ourselves that the intellectual concept is a godly concept and we're learning it because that's what God wants. But God wants us to understand Torah. Hashem wants us to know the five books of Moses. He wants us to know the 613 commandments. He doesn't want us to get caught up in our emotions at that time. He wants us to know the mitzvah of tzitzit is with four corners and lighting Shabbos candles is, you know, with all the details of it, 18 minutes before Shabbos begins. And so when we're learning, it should, we're, we're supposed to focus on the learning. During prayer, we're actually supposed to take our focus and now create an emotion out of it. Let me kind of try and say this in other words and be a little more clear. The brain is greater than the heart. But to push aside evil, you must have the heart's cooperation. When you're learning, you don't have the heart's cooperation. You're learning. When you're praying, you have the heart's cooperation. So, so you're saying that in, in, in prayer, you have both the, the, the mind and the heart? Absolutely. Both, both. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, um, it was said that the, that the Germans, before uh, World War II, were at a very high intellectual level. Yeah. Um, and um, yet, I mean, they did tremendous evil. So, it, I mean, it, if you look at it that way, the, the intellect is not necessarily always good or, or always... Um, To be relied upon. To be relied upon. Yeah. Fantastic question, and, and uh, you know, unfortunately, the Nazi, the the Germans, are case in point to many ideas that we're going to be learning, and that is that Torah study itself does not make you um, a special and holy person. Unfortunately, there's many people that have learned Torah and corrupted it. There's many people that have learned Torah and they've just learned it intellectually and not applied it. The first commandment is Anochi Hashem Elokecha. We first need to know there's a God. We need to recognize that we're learning Torah because God said. And that is why when we learned that section I mentioned, every hour a Jew has a command during, while they're learning Torah, every hour a Jew needs to stop and remind himself, I am learning Torah, I'm using my mind, but it's to connect with God. So if the Germans would have every hour reminded themselves that there's a God in this world and we want to connect with Him, then their intellect wouldn't have taken them off, I, I, I would assume. So it's almost as though even during that minute every hour, they're supposed to remind yourself that there's a brain right side of the heart interaction at that moment or something like that. There's something... Um, some, there's some sort of interaction. At that moment, I don't know if you're involving the Almost heart. like prayer or something. Not really. That hour, that, uh, that moment, it's an intellectual thing. Again, it's reminding yourself intellectually that I'm learning to connect with Hashem. It's kind of a focus of what we're trying to accomplish, to not get lost here. Are you just allowing your mind to go wherever you want? Or is there, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a task here, I have a mission. 
May I comment to the doctor? Sure. I agree with you, but I don't. And here's why. There, most, there are people who are well-known, but there were a lot of people that not only emulated them, but were um, uh, held back their endorsement to the degree that even though they were scared spitless, they still stood up. And a, the cardinal example of that, but he is not the only one, is Bonhoeffer. And he ended up paying for it. I'm not sure what, what you're saying. Bonhoeffer yeah. said, yeah. you know, no, this, is, this isn't going to work. Uh, and he did what he could within the system to subvert it. Oh, while yeah. being yeah. while while taking part, and he he ended up mar being martyred, yeah. uh, but he never never stopped. He instead of standing on the corner and screaming, he effectively subverted the system in every way he could. While at the same time getting his brother-in-law out, Billy Brott went to Jer went to uh, Sweden, and uh, a lot of people condemned him for it. He said, "No," he said, "I couldn't stay there and put up with that evil," and he was still elected to office and closer to the war when there were still to the end of the war when there were still a lot of people around who who uh, were if not sympathetic certainly so guilty that they didn't want to endorse his view and there were others of course but it's a, it's I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because again that's a prime example of why when we learn Torah we have to know why we're learning Torah and remind ourselves we're learning it to connect with Hashem. And this is something I struggle with every day with my students. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Why, it's not, well, is it ever going to happen that I'm going to see a cow gore an ox? I'm gonna, well, I see an ox gore a cow. I don't need, I've never seen an ox. I've never seen a cow. You know, like... But, he and I can arrange for that. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't learn Torah because we need to see it happen. We learn Torah because... It's God's wisdom, and no matter what we learn, if we go ahead and we learn something, right? The Torah has there's two mitzvot that will never happen. We've been told that the case of the um, older man who uh, goes against the Beit Din and the young child who uh, defies his parents, etc., as the Torah, these two laws are never going to happen. We learn it to connect with Hashem. So if we have that in mind, um, that's going to be able to focus us. So, just um, to clarify, I, this, the question you had was regarding dominion of heart over mind or mind over heart, was that? And the answer to that was... The mind is, it controls the heart. It, uh, initially, the impulse comes from, or for instance, for evil, yeah. comes from the left side, like it's yes. earlier in chapter yes. 13. Correct. And then it goes to the mind for contemplation. Yes. It's up to you up here to determine... Yes. In other words, your heart may send a message to the mind. Not may. Unfortunately, often, your heart sends messages to the mind. But we're saying the mind has the power to control the heart. If someone has a sudden impulse, there's no such thing as them saying, I must do it. They don't must do it. But the mind can also... An animal, just to conclude, uh, to continue, an animal must do it. There are, it's... So, all you said, maybe this is a it's not a very good answer, but it's kind of an answer. So the mind can also send wrong messages. So it's critical that it's always 
hence the hour reminder that it's always sending the right message. So maybe the Nazis were allowing themselves to send the wrong message to the heart. I mean, that's a good point. Your mind controlling your heart doesn't mean everything your mind says is good. That's right. ab absolutely. Your mind controlling your heart just means that you have the ability to subdue your inner your desires. Right. That's absolutely. When uh, I was at uh, my nephew's bar mitzvah, he, he well understood that he now has the responsibility uh, to use his uh, free will to make choices. And, uh, he was aware it comes from the mind. And every moment he has that option to choose one or the other. That's pretty advanced for a 13-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Wow. that's very good. Was that reasonable? Yeah, it sounded Oh, Mazel Tov. Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, thank you, everyone. Good evening.